This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot. And if you're listening to this, you are probably a North American waterfowler and it seeps into your being and becomes part of who you are and you can't get enough of it. And that's probably why you're listening to this. <laughs> so you and I probably have a lot more in common than we have differences. So thank you so much for listening. This is a really good one. I love these episodes, these Woody's episodes. I've got episode number 15 of Woody today so this is going to be a hunt update comment of the week and then woody's top five if this is a great time guys to hop over to patreon and jump on because woody and i get on and we record five batches of woody's top five in a row and that's always available on patreon to join and watch live and comment it's a great fun festive time so go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting if you want to get in on watching a live recording of me and my buddy Woody record the top fives, it's becoming an event, a thing that people are loving to do. And while I'm talking about Patreon, I always want, I also want to mention a couple of new elite members. We've got Joseph Christensen. Thank you for joining up. I'm going to be sending him a hat and um, appreciate you joining up. And also Craig Orr which upgraded his account to the elite membership. So thank you so much for those patrons and your support. That's just such a great way to support what I'm doing and help me continue to bring you this content content. I want to apologize for not getting out an episode last Thursday. That's the first Thursday I've missed for a long, long time. Things have just been hectic and crazy. And I just was unable to get it recorded. 
So let's go ahead and jump into um, the hunt update first. Then we'll take a little break and we'll do the comment of the week and, and then Woody. So this past weekend was the big duck opener here in the state. And if you watch or listen to my content at all, you know that I can't stand openers there. It's like, I love when duck season opens. I love the anticipation of it, but the actual hunting of an opener to me is my least favorite. My least favorite hunts of the year are openers. If I cannot get away at all. And right now we are still lacking water. We're still lacking water. And so that means the available water that we do have tends to hold more and more and more people. We have a, we have a normal way that we're able to kind of get away from the masses. But when we're lacking water, you just can't, you just can't do it. So that was definitely the situation this weekend. Now on the teal opener, if you remember my report of that, I got in there really, really early. And I basically spent the night in the marsh, which I don't like really doing that either. I don't like that. That's a thing. I don't think that having all those people in the marsh starting at like 10 PM is really probably, I wish that wasn't a part of it, but it just kind of goes with the opener in anymore, but I just didn't want to do it this time. And so it was going to be myself, my dad, golden boy, Aiden, and my stepson, Elijah. And so it was going to be the four of us. And as Aiden and I were talking, we really played around with the idea of showing up at the boat ramp at sunrise, like shooting time, getting there at shooting time, monitoring the marsh, watch where people were having success, waiting and trying to identify the quickest groups to limit out and then replacing them. And that was really on our game plan to do. Now, this is a, I think this is a lot easier to do with teal than it is with big ducks. Because normally when you have like your 15, 30, 45 minute limit, it's normally associated with teal. Those are like the real fast limits. And Aiden had been scouting. And earlier in the week, he's like, well, there's probably 80% blue wing teal out of here and about 20% big ducks. And so we were really thinking about doing this plan. Aiden hadn't been feeling well. And neither of us just felt like doing what it would take to get those prime spots that we knew the best top two or three spots, which it was going to take going in about nine, 10 o'clock PM. And we just like, you know, neither of us really want to do it. And so our plan was to try the swap out, but then we had a big old, nice cold front, but we had a minor one around Tuesday. And then we had a bigger cold front push in like Thursday. And by Friday, we were really more at 60, 40 teal to big ducks. And with those numbers, we just, we, we just didn't feel confident about trying to replace someone that was coming out and still having success. So, but we still didn't, we just, I, I just didn't want to fight it. I just didn't want to fight those crowds. I'm like, let's show up at the boat ramp about four o'clock and go in and just find a spot. We know this area, we can probably find a place. And Aiden was still feeling pretty sick. So it was my dad and Elijah and myself. We we showed up. And actually on this trip, it was a really fun weekend because I, I wanted I'm, I'm doing so many trips and so much traveling. I really want to in, involve my family. So my wife, my 16-year-old daughter, Penelope, my 19-year-old um, son, Elijah, and then my wife, Beth, we got an Airbnb and we went and stayed there. And that was another thing about getting up earlier. It's like my wife was going to be with me and I knew we all wanted to have these plans Saturday afternoon to go out to this pizza place. And I didn't want 
to start the whole weekend. I wanted to get some family time in on this thing too. So I really don't want to start the weekend with like no sleep. I was going to be wrecked for the weekend. I just didn't want to, I just don't want to do that. So we got there about four and we put the big boat on and man, there were so many people in the marsh. And so we were cruising, cruising up the channel and man, spot a taken spot B spot C spot D spot E. I mean, it's just like person, 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 person. And this is where Onyx Onyx came in clutch. And if you don't have Onyx yet, guys, my gosh, download this app. I had set a pin. We hunted this one little spot. Uh, how long ago was that? Jeez, 2003, four, five. I don't know. But when I started using Onyx, I pinned this one little spot that we had hunted and had success at early around the same time. Um, and we hadn't hunted it since. And so as I was looking, I was looking on Onyx as I'm I'm driving the boat. I pause it. I'm looking on Onyx. Where should I set up? I know there's people here. And that's the thing. Like, normally speaking in my life, I, I am the first one at the marsh more often than not the first one at the marsh. Not that I'm always the first one, but I'm, I am the places that I hunt more often. I'm the first one there. And I've had several experiences. It's like, I'm starting to mature about some stuff as I'm getting a little older. I think like at the beginning of my recording on YouTube, it's like, I just would get kind of hot under the collar when people were too close to me. And I never acted overly disrespectful or anything. It's just really burnt me when people would come and, and end up setting up 150 yards, hundred yards from me. And now that I'm, I've had some experiences where I'm not the first one in the marsh. I guess I never quite fully understood how hard it is to tell how close a light is to you when you're going in. Cause as I'm boating through, I'm like, well, there's a light. I can't tell if that's a hundred yards. I can't tell if that's 400 yards. It is so difficult to gut to gauge the distance of a flashlight in the dark. And there was probably some places that I could have, we could have set up that I, I just, I'm like, there's a light there. I'm going to assume that that's where they're at. I'm going to assume that's where that, you know, and I, I don't like doing this, but it's like, sometimes I'll just like boat over to him be like, Hey, I, I, when I do this, cause when I meet someone in the dark, their hackles are always up a little tiny bit at first. Um, and so my goal, if I'm not sure how far they are, I go right to them. I say, the first thing I say is, Hey, how you doing? I just want to make sure I'm not going to sit up too far, too close to you. That's like the first sentence out of my mouth. And when you say that, because if you've got your spot locked down in the dark and you see flashlights coming towards you, most people are like, oh, come on, man. Oh, they're getting, they're coming towards me. They're coming. They're coming. They're going to set up too close to me. They're going to ruin this hunt for me because we put so much time, so much effort, so much mental activity, so, so much space in who we are into these hunts and time and effort and money that some guy coming and setting up 80 yards from you, which it happens. Absolutely. You guys know it happens, ruins the hunt. And so that's why people's hackles are up. It's like, oh, dude, please, please. I got here first. I've got the spot locked down. I've got a good spot. Please do not come and set up 80 to 100, 110 yards for me. Please don't do that. And so I approach him. That's the first thing out of my mouth. 
I just want to make sure I'm not setting up too close to you. And once you do that, you just see all of that defensiveness just flow out of them. And I didn't do that on this trip on this one when we were in the boat, but a lot of times, especially if, if like I can walk over to him, I'll walk over to him. Like it's a very, very helpful thing. But it's just because it's just so hard to gauge that distance. So when we backed on X, I was watching on X as I was driving the boat. And I saw that one pin because I kept getting deep into the marsh. I'm like, hmm, I remember that pin. We hunted there a long time ago. And as I boated into that area, I'm like, hmm, this is nice. There's I passed passed by one group. And I got out by that pin. I'm like, this is pretty nice. There wasn't anyone within. I, and another thing I did on X is once I got to the spot where I thought I wanted to set up, I, I looked at where the, the last group that we passed, I knew where they were because I was close enough to vote for them. And I, I put a line out there and I was like, those guys are at the closest 190 yards to 200 yards at the closest. These things are so important to do. And I'm going to talk more about this later, the culture of the marsh. One thing as a community of North American waterfowlers, I would, I would really love for us to do more is think of a marsh and everyone in it as a community and care about what can I do in my behaviors and actions to help the community on this day. I don't want to do anything that's going to ruin anyone's hunt. I don't want to do anything that's going to give someone a less of an opportunity to have a successful fun day. We want people around us to have successful and fun appealing days. We want their satisfaction ratings to be high. So as North American waterfowlers, what can we do in the marsh? How can we behave in the marsh in a way that, that helps other people's satisfaction stay high? And what should we not do that's going to lower other people's satisfaction? And I thought about boating over to these guys that we were close to just to double check and make sure. But I was almost like, I was really, really certain as to where we were. So we didn't boat right by them, but I saw their light. And I was pretty dead set sure where they were. And so I, I used on X and I checked, here's where I am. Draw a line to where they are. 200 yards. All right, I'm good. I don't need to go talk to them. I'm 200 yards. I'm good. And we found this nice little hole. Now, the only bad thing about the little hole, it was a little deeper than I would like for teal. It, was, it wasn't it was knee deep. It was like just below knee deep, which that's not ideal, ideal teal depth. Ideal teal depth is like ankle. So it was a little deeper than I wanted. But on this marsh that was just overloaded with people, being 200 yards to the cl no closest group, if I can get in a heavily hunted marsh on the opener and be 200 yards from the closest group. That is a win. That's a big win. And I'm also things like, where could other people come and set up that would ruin my ruin our hunt? There's a dike to my left. I'm like, well, if someone sets up there, that's about a hundred yards. That's not good. But I got the group of 200 to the right. Now in front of me, I was like 400. So I had this huge area out in front of me that there was no cover to set up in. And so I knew that there was no way anyone could set up there because there was just absolutely no cover to set up there. So we set up and I felt really, really good. I felt really, really good about this place. So if you don't have on X, go get it, go get it. I felt really, really good about this place. And we had brought with us 
because I didn't, I didn't know we we're going to be set up. So we had the big boat. Also, I brought in um, the final approach. A uh, stand, they call it a stand up line. They want me to call it a stand up line. It's a stand up line. A frames out, whatever they want you me to call it a stand up line. The final approach uh, stand up line with us because I didn't know whether we were just going to be finding a little spot of cattails where that wouldn't hold the uh, hide the boat line. I didn't know if we were going to be in the boat line, and I also bought the Invisiman because Golden Boy was going to come in later because he was still feeling sick. So he's like, I don't know when I'm gonna wake up. I'm feeling like crap. Go. And so we had so much stuff with us, but I just need to be versatile for all these things. I need to be versatile to it. And if you want to look at final approaches, stand up line, fabrand.com. I actually have a 10% code off. It is FDH 10 and all of their stuff is awesome. The teal decoys. I love it's probably one of my favorite things. Their hoodies. They've got these grid hoodies where you put the hoodie on, it sucks straight to the side of your face. You lose zero peripheral vision, which is the bad thing about hoodies when you're hunting, you know, where you have a hoodie on and it just closes in your, your vision. These grid hoodies are fantastic because they hug right up against your face. And you have, I, and I wear them all the time, these grid hoodies. But anyway, fabrand.com, 10% code is FDH10. I get a little, with that code, I get like a little chunk of it, which will really help support me and what I'm doing too, those types of things. So if you're looking for any waterfowl stuff, please, fabrand.com. Um, but I'm like, man, this is awesome. We can actually use the, uh, the boat blind, which the boat blind is so, so nice to hunt out of. I'm not a boat blind guy, but it is so nice to hunt out of a boat blind. It's so comfortable. It's just wonderful. And we had plenty of time and there's plenty of tumbleweeds around. I'm like, I can actually spend time brushing this thing, which if you see my boat line, I was getting some crap from old Oak Nuts Fromer. And you know, Jordan Fromer over there at the Duck Gun Podcast, we call him Oak Nuts. This has been a few days because he keeps getting poison oak on his nuts. What does a guy have to be doing out in the woods to constantly get, in, get poison oak on his nuts? That's just, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> he's just highly allergic to poison oak he's not doing anything nefarious out in the woods i don't think he's not but we did call him oak nuts for a while because like two or three times he's gotten poison oak on his testicles <laughs> that would suck that would be bad <laughs> oh man in fact woody made t-shirts for i've got one for jordan with memes on it about oak nuts. It's like scratching out limits. <laughs> it's got, it's hilarious. Anyway, um, I don't even remember why I even brought Jordan up. Oh, I, I remember because Jordan was marking me with Zach, who I hunted with once last year. He's an awesome guy. And they were giving me some crap about how I rag on boat blinds. When I'm hunting on my boat blind, it's never fully brushed up with anything other than like, like tarping stuff. Like if you want to really be successful out of a boat blind, you've got to naturally brush that thing in. Like really naturally brush it, in, in my opinion, to be really, really successful. Not that you can't be successful, if you use just raffia or just tarps, but to like to fully be successful when, when the boat drives by, it needs to not look like a boat. It needs to look like a huge bush. If you, if you really want to be successful. And so they were giving me some crap about that. And I'm like, fair, that that's a fair criticism. I've been on two mallard hunts 
in my life with this boat that I've tried to use it with the boat blind. And both times I struggled to, to decoy mallards and both times I complained and whined about the boat blind and it wasn't brushed right. And it wasn't and because I know I'm not going to be too fully properly to what I believe. See Phil Conkey's videos on YouTube if you want to see what I'm talking about. To to really be able to do what I want to do with a boat blind, which is to kill mallards at 15 to 20 yards. The boat blind needs to look like a bush. Not like long Joseph Stern Raffia hanging down the sides. Not grass mats. Like really look like a bush. And so I'm putting out these videos where I'm whining about boat blinds, but it's not brushed properly. It's a fair criticism. So I'm like, I'm going to try to brush this thing a little better because I there I know that there's quite a few pintail in the area. And if we have the opportunity at it, I want to be able to do that. So over the next <clears throat> hour or two, um, Elijah and I brushed it up. I got fumble, fumble set up in the Invisiman over there. We ditched the final approach stand up line back behind us. I, I got it all ready. And then good old golden boy cruised in there right at shooting time. Where did the goldenness go? And we're all ready to hunt. So it was fumbles and the Invisiman golden boy with Stella. Elijah and then myself and then Georgie to my right. And on the video, I said this and I want to be challenged. If this isn't true to someone, let me know that Stella Aiden's dog. If you're watching my videos, you got to see these dogs in action. Stella and Georgie are the best hunting duo dog pack dog pair on YouTube. I mean, these dogs, if you're watching my videos this year and the teal and especially watch my Second video, the teal opener, the Kansas teal opener. These dogs are flying around like freaking rockets and their behavior is on point. They're steady. Georgie's taking directions like a champ. I mean, I think right now from everything I've seen that I can't even name another YouTube channel that uses dual dogs, but when they hunt together, man, these dogs, especially in the shallow teal water, because both of these dogs are really fast. It's a show. It's a spectacle watching these two dogs retrieve. And so I'm saying they're the best duo of hunting dogs on YouTube. And I'd put Georgie up against about any other dog that I've ever seen on YouTube. Uh, I'm, I'm not. There's some good ones on there. Some people have some good dogs. But I, I would put Georgie up against any of them. Georgie is a little badass. And I hope that you guys enjoyed my podcast with Chris Jobman on Monday. If you want as good a hunting dog as there is on the planet, Flatliner Kennels. I'm 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 not even joking. I spent so much time out there with Chris and saw how he runs that operation. I saw all of his set of dogs he's got out there. I saw his client dogs, I saw his personal dogs, and man. The puppies that Georgie's dad is putting out are unbelievable. Yeah, you can get other fantastic dogs outside. Aiden's dog is from a a different breed. Cole, my buddy Cole, his dog is from somewhere else. There's good dogs around. But man, these Flatliner Kennel dogs, good Lord. Good Lord. Because he's purposeful with his breedings. He's not just breeding whatever. He's like, this dog flash with that dog. I want to match those, those qualities. 
because I've bred enough dogs that I know I'm matching those qualities and look what I'm getting. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, so if you're looking for a puppy, he's got five of them right now that are world class waterfowl retrievers. They're all half siblings to Georgie. Just unbelievable. Um, anyway, so sun came up and the whole time you're hearing teal quacking, even with all those people in the marsh and on the video, I'm putting out the video. It'll be out by the time this on. So go check it out. <clears throat> and I was, I videoed the um, lights in the dark. Like there's a group, there's a group, there's a group there. It's unbelievable, man. And you know what I'm, I'm looking for full immersion. When I hunt, my ultimate goal is to hunt where I never see another person or hear another person the whole day. And I know that's not going to happen, happen, happen on openers. And I can enjoy an open. I thoroughly enjoyed this hunt. Absolutely. I enjoyed this hunt. So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying what my ideal, what I'm looking for is that full immersion, peaceful all by myself. But um, it wasn't on this day. Sun came up and man, the war zone began. The war zone began. And we didn't, I knew that we were on the wrong side of the pool from all Aiden scouting. I knew that we were kind of on the wrong side of the pool, but I mean, what do you do? We, we got there at four instead of 10 PM. So what do you expect? <clears throat> but we kind of struggled. We kind of struggled. Uh, we, and I will tell you how, what we ended with and then tell you the capstone of the day for me and describe it to you. Um, we ended up with, I ended up with my limit with six. Elijah ended up with four fumbles. He kind of struggled this day. His guns in the repair shop and golden boy was making him shoot a full choke. Cause he was using golden's gun because we got there and I realized one of my shotguns didn't have a plug in it. It was a new one that, that I got from actually my buddy Jake gifted it to me and there was no plug in it. And I'm like, Oh man, I, I'm th thank God. I remember to check with this is the plug and there's no plug and we can't bring it. So we only brought in two. So Aiden brought another one for my dad to use and had a full choke. And my dad just struggled. So he didn't shoot any. And Aiden just videoed. Which man, what a what a what a pal. Aiden is such I love Aiden so much. God blessed me when I met Aiden in 2016 on a duck hunt. Absolutely did. Absolutely blessed me on that day. Because he is just a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. Love that guy. So oh, we hunted until about 1030. And you know, we shot 10. We probably I was giving Elijah my steps and he's been on about seven or eight hunts, maybe 10 at this point in his life. And so his shooting on this hunt was significantly better. Like he took a huge step up with his shooting on, on this hunt, but still, you know, uh, was, I was giving him priority on the, on the first few passes. And there were some missed birds there that if like everyone was just blazing, away, we probably could end up with like 13 or 14 birds instead of 10. So not a horrible day, not a horrible day. And they, but they were all teal. And my, my experience on openers is if you have a bunch of duck, like it was a 60, 40 split between teal and big ducks, but we only shot all teal because it seems to me that teal can handle a lot more pressure than big ducks can pintail, widgeon, gadwall. You get that many people in a marsh. They're just not going to stick around. Once the shooting starts, they're just done. They're gone. We're teal are a little bit more resilient to shots. It seems like. And so we shot all teal. Um, but there was one pass in particular that is going to probably stand in my mind for a long time. I think at this point we had shot like six birds, five, four or five or six birds, something like that. And it was starting to roll on. It was just kind of feeling like this line is 
going to be end up maybe being a disappointment because when we found this place in the dark, I was thrilled about this place. Um, really nice little spot, pretty little spot, sun at our back, beautiful little prairie marsh, which prairie marsh is rule supreme in my life. Um, but we're all sitting there in the boat and on our left, the cattail. So this is just a prairie marsh, not many, not much vegetation. Well, vegetation out in front of us, we're all like real shallow vegetation. And the cattails kind of bowed to the left. So they arced out and then back to my left. And I looked over there and there was a hundred yards between me and the, the close deck. And we were right, our, we were right on the land on the edge of this pool. So we weren't out in the pool. We were on the edge of us. The land's like right behind us, which I didn't like that either. Cause I always want to be out in the pool. And I looked over right at the perfect time. Cause these seven blue wings, I saw them come and I could see them through the cattails. And as they are coming right towards us, they had to go around this bend in the cattails. So if you think of it to my left and it, the cattails go from kind of the shore and they come out and arc and curve around. So this group of teal, as they were coming, they, as they went around that bend of cattails, they all banked to turn because they, they hugged the cattail line. If that makes sense So think of like a, like a curve, they all hung it. And so as they came around it, all of these birds in unison dip that right wing down, left wing up. And when they do that together, and you see the the powder blue wing patches of every single bird in unison banking around that curve in that visual to me, I am extremely visual when it comes to duck hunting. Like I just love seeing birds, whether they're songbirds, whether they're cedar waxwings, whether they're goldfinches, whether they're kestrels, I like visually seeing them in close and tight. And so when you get a group of teal that all bank at the same time and you see all those powder blue wing patches at the exact same time, that's something that burns into my brain. I don't know about you, but that's something that sticks with me. And remember, to this point, this day had been kind of a um, disappointment. And man, when they all bank like that, I will remember that. There's, there's one bank in my mind of teal that I will never, ever, I will be daydreaming. I do not have it on video. This is 2007, right before I started FDH was in 2015. I started FDH. My dad and I were hunting this place. that doesn't hold water anymore. It was my favorite place in the world. When I found it doesn't hold water anymore. It was a big bowl and it was surrounded by timber. And there was all this smart weed in this year. And this group of 20 over top of us. And it was about a 80 yards from where we were kind of in, in this little timber spot down to the other timber spot uh, where the timber was. So it was smart weed in between, like think of it like a circle and all 20 banked at the end of that circular bowl in unison. And all 20 of them were spotlighted by the sun to where you could see all of those blue patches at once. I, I don't know anything else about that hunt. I will never forget what that looked like. This wasn't as grand as that, but it was fantastic because all seven of them all did that bank and I could see all those powder blues at the same time. And they came right in and we had been having a little bit of a problem because teal were coming through 
but they weren't quite settling. And this was a great learning experience for Elijah. Cause one thing I was trying to explain to him, like don't hop up until I call the shot, which I don't think I've quite obviously done a good enough job of explaining that to him. Cause there was several passes where he kept like popping up, like don't pop up until I call the shot because what he was doing was especially teal. Cause they're so fast. If you want to shoot them decoying and not passing, then you have to be willing to miss out on some shots as they're coming through the decoys because they'll hit those landing breaks, those air breaks at the last second. So they're coming in. You, most of you guys already know this, but as they're coming in, they're coming in fast. It looks like they're going to decoy and finish as they're coming in. They get to a point where their next move has to be the air breaks, you know, where their feet come out and their head and their wings go backwards. Once they hit that spot, where their their back feet are out, their head and wings, their wings come up and they tip back because they're putting those air brakes on. If you jump up and try to shoot at them before they put those air brakes on and they see you, then they have the ability to continue to swoop through the decoys. So if you want to make sure you're shooting teal decoying and decoying is not quickly going through the de- through the set at 15 yards. That's not decoying. Decoying is when they put those air brakes on. When they put the air brakes on, you can either let them sit on the water or you can try to shoot them. You can hop up right as their air brakes are on and then you're shooting them as they're dropping that last 5 to 10 yards out of the sky to the water. And that's where I want to shoot them. I want to shoot them when they put the air brakes on. As soon as they put those air brakes on, that's when I want to call the shot. You hop up and they're either one continuing to drop or now they're trying to change their aerobatics out of that air brakes to continue to fly. And Elijah two or three times would jump up on his own without me calling the shot before they put the air brakes on. And I was trying to explain to him, and this was so great because I was able to, to have a couple of experiences where they didn't do it. So he would jump up. They would not finish because he was jumping up and then he would pull off a shot at 35 yards as they're going out. I'm like, he's like, I'm not shooting that good. I was like, you're not, you're shooting good on when you're shooting properly. When you're, when you hop up at the wrong time, now you're shooting them in the butt at 35 yards. So it's not that you're not shooting good. It's that you keep jumping up, quit jumping up, wait till I call the shot. And it was a great learning experience for him on this of when to call the shot. Calling the shot is, is a science. And if you don't have a good shot caller, your hunt is everyone's shooting percentage is going to drop. Because calling the shot at the right time is key to shooting success. And especially with those with those teal, it's hard because they're so quick in the decoys. And so this group, I'm like, wait, 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 just wait, came in. And they weren't calling quite as fast as some of the other one either. But they got in the decoys and all of them, well, I don't know if every single one of them, they started to put those air brakes on. I called the shot. Boom, I killed the first one. I should have shot triple miss the second kill the third one. Elijah kills one. So we killed three out of that seven. We killed three of those seven. And that decoy was the day. That was the day. If we had had no other success other than that one group, I'd have been okay. I'd have been okay with it. And I do still post pile picks on social media sometimes old guys that hate pile picks because you think people have just killed dependent when they put them on the social media i would have been okay 
that decoy was it. That's why I duck hunt. I duck hunt for those events. I enjoyed all, all of the other kills and everything, but that seven group with the powdery blue tipping, shooting three out of that seven, Elijah killing one, me killing two. That was it. That was the day. That's what made it fun. That is what I love about waterfowl hunting. So I wouldn't have had to have those other ones. If if I if that's all that would happen, it'd have been like, man, I sure wish we'd done better, but damn, that group was awesome. So it went from a subpar day to like, that's it. That's all I need. I'm done. I shot a couple more after that, but I was like, that's it. The day's a success. The day's fun. Period. I always try to keep a little meter of like. Am I satisfied? My success, my satisfaction level for this hunt. And after that, it was it. I was good. Remember, guys, Bobby Hayes owns Ducklander Calls. He is doing so much for the waterfowl sport. Um, He's putting out so much free content for the waterfowl. I've never met a guy. I've met very few guys that care as much about the waterfowl community as Bobby Hayes does. Please go support him. Buy a duck call from him. Contact him. Let him know how much you appreciate what he's doing. Because he just go to Duck Liner Calls and just see all, all the stuff he's putting out through the tribe, which is a free thing. He really cares about the community. So if you want to support the waterfowl community, if you want to support North American waterfowlers, go to Ducklander Calls and buy a call. Or at least drop him an email and tell him how much you appreciate what he's doing. Go look at what he's doing. Because he is good for the sport. I promise you that guy's good for the sport. Um, so that was that was day one. That was day one. And it was oh and oh and I was gonna say, uh Georgie on the third bird, the dogs didn't see it, and I and I was like, Hey Aiden, because Aiden had the camera and I'm like, film me, film me running Georgie on this blind retrieve. It was about I don't know, 35 yards where it landed off into some cattails and man, she crushed it. She crushed it. And so if you want to see her blind retrieve on that, I was really, really appreciative of that little dog and, and what she means to me and what she was doing. Cause anytime you get to run, run your dog on a blind, when blind retrieve, when you've been working with them so hard and they do it successfully and they take all the casts successfully and they come up with the bird where if, if she didn't have those skills, I'd have had to get out of the boat, get in the water, walk her out there. But she did it. And it was, what a wonderful little dog that, that she is. What a wonderful little dog she is. Um, so we are going to take a real quick break. Then we're going to come back here for comment of the week. And then Woody's top five. And I will get into the second hunt here in just a second. I want to play a quick song for you. Now, now I've got a group of songs that I call my top 10 and there's more than 10 songs that are in my top 10. I just call them a top 10 song. That's a top 10 song. It just means like, I love this song so much. That's a top 10 song. I don't know how many songs I have in my top 10, but this is on the edge of a top 10 song. I can tell you when I found this song, I listened to it damn near nonstop for two weeks. I mean, I probably listen to the song 15, 20 times a day for two weeks. This is a band called the national. There's two songs that they have that I, that I love. This one is 
Oh man, I love this song. I hope that you love it too. It's called Weird Goodbyes featuring Bon Iver. This is The National and we will be right back after a break. Memorize the bath water. Memorize the air. There'll come a time I want to know I was here. Names on the door frames. Inches and ages. Handprints and concrete at the softest stages. I Thank you for coming back. I've had some feedback that people like me playing these songs because I wasn't sure. I said that a couple times. I don't know. Do you like me playing songs? Do you not like me playing songs? I put a playlist. I've got a playlist going of every song that I put on the podcast over on the Facebook group. I've got a playlist up there. And every time I play songs, I'm going to be adding to it. So if you like these songs, you want to check them out. Um, it's a Spotify play- playlist. You can go. And check them out and hang around, hang around. Cause I've got another one from the national at the end. That's also on the verge of being a top 10, but I'm not sure. Uh, are they top 10? They're real close. They're real close to being a top 10 song. So anyway, let's go ahead and jump into comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the All right, I found this comment online today. This was comment was not made to me. This was on a Facebook forum, and I saw it, and I'm like, this goes in perfectly with what I'm trying to do with this podcast, or with at least the podcast. So let me read this comment to you. I'm not going to say the name of the person because this wasn't written directly to me, and I'm going to leave out the name of the specific marsh where this guy was hunting. So here we go. If you hunted blank marsh yesterday for opener, you need to learn to work birds and not pretend you're just in a field shooting random shots. I know now why every duck we get down our way stays a million miles high. Dad, stop teaching your kids it's okay to just try and poke birds from the sky that are nowhere even close to being committed. I get it. You're out with your boy. Teach them. Not just let them shoot at any bird at any time. This marsh can get checked off my list of never visit again. And I had an experience on, I've had lots of experiences like this. 
at the beginning of this podcast, I was talking about being a waterfowl community and and acting in a way that's going to bring up the satisfaction level of the entire marsh. Those Texas boys I talked about on a few podcasts back with the amplified muffler hunting 17 people that were racing, ferrying people back and forth, back and forth, racing around the marsh, digging in mud. Those people brought the satisfaction level for everyone in that complex crashing down. How do you know? Because the manager told me he had many, 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 many complaints and reports about those guys' behavior. And if if you're feeling emotional enough about someone's behavior in the marsh to report them to the manager, obviously that's dragged down your satisfaction level quite a bit. I would say it drug mine down. I still had a great day. I loved it. But them doing that did certainly bring down my satisfaction level in the marsh. And we need to, as a community, think about that. How are my actions raising or lowering the satisfaction of, of the marsh? And I've never really thought about that until today. I've never really thought about this concept. And and the older and the more that I get, I'm 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 like my thoughts are the same, but they're directed differently. To like, not like you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. But as a community, how can we raise the overall satisfaction of the experience of of everybody that's out there? So I have have had several multiple experiences in my life where people's shot selection in a marsh were dragging down the entire marsh. So for those of you that, that may not know why sky busting really drags down the community on that day, ducks come into a marsh and they work. And some people think that when ducks don't settle right away, that they're, it's just that they're wary. They're, not where, but they're like, they're, they're seeing something. They're, they're seeing something in your set. They're, they're scared. They're, there's something they know is not quite off, but I have seen multiple times ducks come into a marsh when no one is hunting and they circle and circle. And, and there probably is because they're wary, but it's not because there's anyone hunting and they circle and circle and circle and circle. And finally they go down and finish. If you are any marsh, on a day where that's what's taking place, where birds are circling a lot and you're in the marsh and you're shooting birds at 50 to 60 yards, chances are you are ruining the vast majority of the flocks for the entire marsh. Cause if, if birds are working around a lot of times, if you, if you get a marsh, it's not even that small of a marsh, a decent sized marsh, a flock that comes in, they will fly that whole marsh. Sometimes they'll fly that whole marsh a couple of times before they settle in someplace. And if you are going to shoot those 55 to 60 to 65 to 70, I've seen people shoot almost 80, 90 yard shots, but let's just say that you're shooting 60 yard shots, which I think is way more common than people understand. I think that a lot of times people are like, well, that's about 45 yards. It's really 60. That's what I always thought. And if you listen to those episodes with Bobby Hayes, he takes people in his backyard. This confirmed my thinking because I had said that. I Jordan and I actually had a conversation about this on the Duck Hunt podcast that I said, Are we have not evolved to 
be able to truly have depth perception into the sky. That's not something that our eyes are adapted doing to look into the sky and go, oh, that's 40 yards versus that's 50 yards versus that's 60 yards. That's a difficult skill. And Bobby told me when he gets people at his shop and he starts hanging out with them, a lot of times he'll go out in the backyard and he'll say, how far do you think 40 yards is? And inevitably it's much farther than 40. What they think is 40. And people are shooting 60, 65 yard shots. A lot of the time that's outside of gunning range, even for a full choke. You get to that 60, 65, that's not efficient range. So if you get a day where birds are working like that, like they're working the marsh, if you have one or two groups, let's say you have five, six groups of hunters on that marsh on that day. If you have one or two groups that are going to be shooting at 60, 65 yards, they're going to ruin the day for the entire marsh. Because those birds are going to work. Inevitably, those guys are going to shoot at them at 60 and they're gone. They're done. So yeah, it does educate them for down south, but it ruins the day on the marsh. And a lot of times on those days, if you just wait, don't shoot those shots. Someone is going to get a really good decoy and pass and kill birds. And so think of it this way. Let's say there's five groups in the marsh. And let's say two out of the five groups have a really good spot and where the, the ducks just really prefer that spot and three of the groups, not such a great spot. And so the birds are coming in, they're working the marsh and they tend to want to end up in one of those two good spots. If you're just patient, don't worry, don't shoot shots unless they're decoying in tight or close pass shooting shots. Those guys with the good spots are probably going to shoot their limit. And now you're down to three people in the marsh, three groups. You've eliminated two groups. And if people are watching properly, let's say group one shoots their limit. Another group that's not doing well. Hey, let's move over there. Boom. They move over in that spot. Group two shoots their limit. Another group, man, let's go to there. And, and it's like, it only takes one or two groups of people shooting those, those long shots to wreck the day. If, if it, just because you can kill one out of every three or four passes doesn't mean it's acceptable range, you're ruining the day for the marsh. And that's what this guy's point is in, 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 in that comment, they're ruining the day for everyone because they won't let anything work. Now I will say this, if you're going to a public marsh on opening day and you expect to work birds, you have unrealistic expectations. You're not going to work birds on opening day because there's too many shots going out. There's too many people in the marsh. We had that same experience on our first day because some of these teal wanted to go into work mode. And the way it was on this day, if they weren't, if they were not committing quickly, you weren't going to get them in because there's too many shots going off in the marsh. So that guy's expectation of being able to work birds on opening day at that marsh is, is a unrealistic expectation. If you want to work birds, it's not going to happen on opening day. Not, not there, not where he was. I've hunted where he was. You're not, it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen where I was. Now there was a day two, a while back season three of FDH. So Aiden and I were layout boat hunting in a marsh and man, there was a kid with a kazoo about, 
120 yards from us. And man, he just would not stop blowing that call. And it's calling was terrible. And they weren't hidden enough. And Aiden was, this was only Aiden's like second or third year duck hunting. And I'm like, let's just wait that kid out. Cause he was really frustrating us. Cause there was birds trying to work. His shot selection sucked. His calling was subpar. And, and I just knew that this kid was the reason there was lots of big ducks working, but this kid was the reason that we weren't getting any birds. And I just kept telling Aiden, just if this kid leaves, if this kid leaves, I'm telling you, 9.30, that kid leaves. Immediately, we started decoying and killing birds. Immediately. Because he was handling himself in a way that was not conducive to the overall good of the marsh. Had he conducted himself differently, maybe Aiden and I would shot of our limit quick and he could have filled it in for us. Because he wasn't dropping a bunch of birds, but he was trying. <laughs> so. My my point being, and I'll give you a quick story about day two that I didn't tie into it, but point being, our behavior, we need to think of the whole marsh as a community on that day and and care about the success of others. And sometimes the success of others means more success for you a few hours later. Be patient. You don't need to shoot those shots. Be patient. On Sunday, where we set up, it was... um my dad didn't go. This is day two. Elijah, Aiden, and myself. We had great movement right before shooting time. Birds everywhere. But there was guys behind us, 150-ish yards, I don't know, that were just being so loud. So loud. And that was one of the things I talked about um, in a podcast a few a few times ago about volume in a marsh. And, you know, there's no really ethics about it. It's just a preference. It's better to talk in a whisper than it is to talk real loud. And from the, from the day, the, the, from the time this hunt started, gosh, these guys were being so loud, constant talking, constant. I mean, just so loud and they were shooting a bunch and we didn't do very well. Aiden shot two. I shot one. Um, Elijah shot one. Now I was videoing the first 15 minutes. Had I not been videoing, I bet you I would end up with three or four birds. And I had two times where my gun didn't go off for some reason. I think I'd miss fires on the shelves. So I probably could shot four, but, um, these guys, my eyes were shooting like a bunch a bunch. I'm like, man, they've got the good spot. Actually their spot was one of our A spots and they were there before us. And I'm like, man, that's the spot. I wish we were there. I wish we were there. Well, Aiden left. And then Elijah and I realized that we needed to be out farther facing the other direction because the birds that were coming in, the teal were coming in, were on the outside of the decoy set. And they were at about 30. They just weren't quite close enough. We were shooting seven and a half brownings for teal and 30 or 35 yards is not what you want for that. And so Elijah and I, towards the end of that hunt, we moved out and faced the opposite direction. And I got to witness the shot selection of these guys that were behind us. It was not good. They were just, I mean, easily 60, 65 yard shots out of the three or four shots they got. They did drop one. You're going to, you're going to connect on those every now and then, but their shot selection was just terrible, just terrible. Um, so just be a little more thoughtful, I would say about that. How can my behavior be more conducive to the satisfaction of everyone in the marsh? So that's it for the comment of the week. Let's go ahead. I know you guys have been waiting for this. I got a little long winded. Let's go ahead and bring Woody on here for Woody's top five. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunting. Yeah, it's Woody. Ah. 
So we got Woody back with us today for another one. Uh, like I have told you guys, every other Thursday, it's uh, Woody's top five. So, Woody, you uh, you there? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm uh, nursing a sore sore ankle. I had a little tumble off the stairs today. Uh, it's kind of what embarrassing. Happened? Well, I walked out on the front porch. Well, let me back the story up a little bit. Last few weeks go out in the front yard and I like to take care of my yard. I ain't out there with scissors trimming it up or nothing, but I like to keep my front yard looking nice. Every day I walk out there, there's a big old pile of dog poop in our front yard. Mm -hmm. Now we've got a couple of dogs that stay back in the backyard and they take care of the business. And I go out there with a the shovel and deal with it. But neither one of our dogs is big enough to leave a pile like this. It looks like a, a Grizzly bears been out there servicing <laughs> oh, himself no. in our front yard. So not good. Well, I, I probably got madder about it than I should have. And uh, I was tempted to set up a camera out there just to see what was going on and, you know, catch them on surveillance and maybe put it in a bag and take it back to them or something. But because I figured it's one of the neighbors come walking down the street and our yard is such nice plush grass. It's just the perfect spot and the dog seems to like it. So anyhow, I walked out the door this morning to go out and get the newspaper because we still get a paper once a week. And uh, there in the yard was this big old raggedy looking golden retriever hunched up in the most embarrassing looking way dropping the biggest pile of poop in the front yard I think <laughs> no. I've ever seen. Well, something snapped inside of me, Elliot. I just, I, I'm normally a pretty patient man. But when I saw that big old dog taking a dump in my front yard, <laughs> I just lost my mind. And I went running down them steps and I was going to catch him right mid-hunch <laughs> and kick him sideways. And when I stepped off the porch, I rolled my ankle. Ooh. Elliot, I tripped and fell and stumbled across that yard. I'm ashamed to admit what happened. Uh oh. I fell right square in the middle of that pile. Oh, no. <laughs> my left hand went right into that pile of dog poop. Oh. Went all God. the way to my armpit. I slid <laughs> across the ground. So then I was hurt and embarrassed. And on top of it all, I was covered in dog poop. <sighs> I How'd you get that all cleaned up? <laughs> I went crawling back to the house. Miss Larnetta met me on the porch. She'd heard the the heard me hollering and <laughs> wanted to know what was going on. I guess she thought I was being robbed or something. <laughs> I was crawling on my hands and knees back to the house. She came running down the, the stairs to help me up. I said, No, 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 don't help me. She said, you're so stubborn. You don't want nobody to help. I said, it ain't because I don't need the help. It's because I'm covered in dog poop. <laughs> That's embarrassing right there. Yeah, it was, it was a low point in my life. I'm not going to lie. But I, can, I can see how that would be. <laughs> That's disgusting. But tomorrow I'm going to be out on the porch with a pellet gun. There you go. I'm going to light him up because I can't stand <laughs> Big old piles of dog poop in my yard, but they don't come from my dogs. Anyhow, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a proud man. I'm willing to admit when I'm, when I'm wrong or when I make a mistake, I'm trying to be athletic and run, be some kind of ninja. 
at my age was just a really dumb idea. All right. Anyhow, so top five most annoying hunting interruptions, most annoying ways to be interrupted while hunting. Now, I don't know about you, but the invention of the cellular phone was one of the worst things that ever happened to my hunt. Now it's one of the best too. Now I'm not going to lie. I like the, the idea that I can take pictures when I'm out there and I can contact folks. And there's a lot of times I like that. If I'm out hunting by myself, I'll call old Liam up and talk to him or something. But, uh, it, it also means that everybody can get in touch with me. And it seems like when I go hunting, that's the time when everybody needs something from me. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, there's a lot of things that, cause disruptions and interruptions in my hunt. Number five, number five has to do with that. And that's the, the work phone call, the work phone call. Now I'm probably not the only person that's ever taken a, a personal health day, whether that's mental health, right. or physical health or whatever yeah. to, to go out to the woods and spend a little time with nature. But, if your boss thinks you're at home sick and they call you up to ask a question, like you're so important, they just can't, things at work just can't go on without you. They got to call and ask you a question. You can't be standing there in the duck blind with somebody else blowing the duck call. Yeah, that, that's not, that gets volley, up your cover. Shooting a volley or, you know, at a bunch of ducks or something. So you got to be careful about that. So, one of the tricks that I've learned is, and that's getting a little harder as I get older because the children are getting older and most of them is up and either out of the house or they're busy doing something or whatever. But if, if you're young enough, you can pull this off and that's to make sure you holler at the children while you're on the phone with the boss. If they call mm-hmm. you and you're standing there in the duck blind, you say, Hey, put that down. Quit, quit licking that. <laughs> whatever, you know, quit you, licking you, that. you make a cup. Don't <laughs> stick that. In. Put that back in your pants. Whatever, just don't staple that thing. Whatever, those two phrases should go back to back. Well, <laughs> you got to make it believable. You got to make it believable. <laughs> Did you pee your pants again? Something like that. You know, you gotta. But say something that makes them believe that you're uh, that you're actually at home and not out in the duck blind. And uh, whatever you do, whatever you do. Don't answer a video call from your boss because yeah, that's not good. At that point, you know they're snooping to see what you're doing. Right. All right, number four. Now, I, I bet you've run into this on more than one occasion, but that's sightseeing boaters and hikers that yes. want to stop and talk to you about nature. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? I've I, had I've had fishermen hang out. I've never had anyone try to talk to me. Like fishermen in a boat coming too close and just anchor up and sit there like 150 yeah. yards away. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this has never happened to me out duck hunting or goose hunting. But most of the time, we're in places where ain't nobody going to come by. But I have, on occasion, had folks walk right up to my deer stand. And I, I always try to whistle or holler or something if I see something, see somebody coming, just because I don't want to startle them. Mm-hmm. And I'd really rather them get on out of the way. They've come off the trail and walk all the way over. Are you seeing anything? Are you, <laughs> yeah. catching, are you catching anything? Lord, no, not now. I'm not. Not with you standing out here hollering at me from 30, 40 feet away. Yeah. <sighs> Anyhow, 
that can be a very annoying disruptance. However, I will say, on one occasion, had a, and this was during a, a deer, archery deer season, had a, a fella, he's out there in shorts and uh, them little fancy sandals and all, and he was walking mm -hmm. and uh, come off the trail, wanted to come over and talk to me, see if I'd seen any, some kind of bird, I don't know, some indigo, blue winged, purple wow. squashed something or other. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Wanted to know if I'd seen any of them. I said, fella, I ain't out here looking for birds. I'm out here trying to kill a deer. After about a 20-minute conversation, he finally decided he's going to move on. And before he got out of sight, I heard leaves, and I figured it was another hiker at that point. Turned around and looked. And there was a doe walking right up by, beside me, and I shot her before he got out of sight. So I, he was just about 100 yards off, and that doe come walking right up there. I don't know if she was coming to see what he was or what, but on that, that day, it worked out. But on most occasions, I don't think it probably does. And I just like, when I'm out there in the deer stand or in the swamp by myself or something, I just like to be left alone. I don't want somebody. If I wanted to talk to folks, I'd go to the mall and walk around and talk to folks. Anyhow, number three. Now, we kind of dealt with this one last, two weeks ago, when we talked about the different toilet paper substitutes, but that's the inevitable hunting poop. Right. It just happens. I don't know what it is, if it's nerves, or if it's some sort of uh, electrochemical thing with nature, or what it is, but every time I go to the woods, at some point, my body is going to tell me that it's time to do the evacuation drill and get everything out, and so... That always seems to happen at the most inopportune time. But anyhow, I, I'm sure you've been there on a, on a time or two. I hate it. I hate <laughs> taking a dump out hunting. You always feel like, you feel like you're going to miss the most important thing of the day. I have on multiple occasions in the deer woods and the turkey woods. Went over and got a hold of a tree and squatted down doing my business and had whatever it was I was hunting come running right through the woods right and i'm usually about four feet from my gun end up losing my balance and falling backwards or something <laughs> all right number two this kind of goes back to number four a little bit but that's other hunters who are completely unaware of your presence till they get within about 25 yards of you yeah now i'm not the best at camouflage in my blind and a lot of times, depending on what we're hunting, we're not even in the blind. We're just standing next to a tree. And these people will come walking through the woods and have no clue that you're there. Yeah. No clue at all. Until they get right up. Now, deer hunting is one thing. If you're 30 feet up in the side of an oak tree, it might be kind of hard to see. But when you've got a bunch of decoys set out and you're sitting there in a boat hunting and got a spinner running and some doofus comes walking along pulling his sled behind him with a, a dozen decoys and walks right up to you that takes a special kind of stupid elliot it just does right. yeah Ugh. i agree i was out turkey hunting and i had a mushroom hunter walk right on come up a hill and he <laughs> came over the hill and he was about 15 yards from me and i was just sitting against a tree and uh, I, I heard him coming, but I, I didn't feel like I could say anything because I couldn't see him. By the time he came up over that hill, he was so close. 
I just said, I said, Hey, and he, I, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He started stammering <laughs> on one leg. He was like, he had a walking stick. He points a walking stick at me and he was like bouncing on his back leg. And, and he, he didn't say anything. He just like turned around and walked away. He was, <laughs> I'm telling you, I've never seen anyone so scared in my life. I will admit now there's a time and I was, I don't like to deer hunt during the firearm season on public land. I usually like right. to hunt on private land somewhere right. because it's just not real safe. There's a time once when I, for whatever reason, I was out on some public land and I was walking back into a spot that I'd bow hunted a few times. And I come up over a little rise and I heard somebody say, Hey, well, I'm always good during our hunting season. You've got to have on 400 square inches of blaze orange and a blaze mm -hmm. orange cap. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm pretty good at picking that out from, I can see somebody half a mile away through the woods. If they got right. the blaze orange on, right. I come up over that little rise there where I, I could see a long way out through the woods and looked real good to make sure I wasn't walking in on nobody. This was like two o'clock the afternoon or one o'clock. It wasn't, wasn't real prime hunting time. I heard somebody say, Hey, and I stopped and looked around. He said, Hey, I'm hunting here. And I still couldn't see him. And finally, I saw a hand wave about 30 feet away. And there sat an old boy with his shotgun propped up on his knee, looking right at me. He didn't have a stitch of orange clothing on at all. Mm. I said, oh, well, I, I didn't see you there because uh, you ain't got no orange on. He said, what do you mean? I said, are you deer hunting? He said, well, yeah, I'm deer hunting. What else would I be doing? I said, brother, you ain't got the orange on you. You're going to get yourself shot. And I said, if, if you don't get shot, you're going to get a ticket for being out here with no orange on. He said, oh, I didn't know you had to wear that. No. <laughs> I said, you must not know anything about deer season at all. Because right. the, the most ignorant person in the whole world that doesn't know anything about hunting knows that you wear orange for deer season. Right. But he didn't have any on. Boy, I walked right up on him. And if he had, if he'd been moving around at a distance, because he's sitting there and had a camouflage coat and some Carhartt pants or something on. So if, you know, somebody would seen him at a distance, they'd have thought it was a deer moving. That, yeah, anyhow, dangerous. That's, that's a little different when you're all camoed up. But. All right. Now, this one here, I'd say this is probably the most annoying hunting interruption. This never happened to me personally because I was smart enough to not go to the woods. But that's to get the phone call that your wife is in labor and you got to leave the woods to go to the birth of your child. There you go. So, anyhow, I, I was always smart enough to make sure I stayed close to home. If, if Miss Larnetta was at the point where she was getting ready to birth one of our children. I did not want to have to ruin a good hunt to try to get back home in time to, to root, to uh, see one of our children be born. And I knew, I knew if I was in the woods and she had to rush to the hospital and give birth and I couldn't get home in time, I'd never live that down. <laughs> that might be your last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been. So anyway, there's your top five of the most annoying hunting interruptions. And you got anything to add to that? No, I think that's a pretty good list. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any other. Um, the phone ringing, you know, I've I've had that happen 
where people have their ringer on and there's ducks circling all of a sudden their phone's ringing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that bothers me a little bit. Right. I always try to keep mine on vibrate. Yeah. I'll tell you something. One thing that does, that does bother me, I suppose, um, and I didn't put it on here, but that, and, and I don't know if you deal with this much waterfowl hunting, I've never had it happen, but I've had it happen a lot, turkey and deer hunting, and that's dogs. People let their dogs go out and yeah. just run loose in the woods. Yeah. Oh, that drives me crazy. Yeah, I did actually have that happen. Fumbles and I were <clears throat> turkey hunting fairly close to this little this little town. I mean, really little, like population, like 13 people, just a few houses. And we were about four or 500 yards from it. We were legal what we were doing, and we had some turkeys in the area that had actually gone up in, into the trees. And I don't remember the situation, but I know we were sitting under trees and this little town dog came over running all around. And, and like, you could see the turkeys in the trees from where we were. And this little, dumb little dog just kept running around, coming up to us, trying to get petted, trying to lick us. And like, get out of here, get, shoot, shoot, get, you know, <laughs> we did, we did not shoot any of those turkeys. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've had several times when you see deer come running through the woods and you know they ain't acting right. Something's wrong with them. Yeah. They're, they're they're not acting natural. Here yeah. comes somebody's old cur dog chasing along behind them. You know that's pretty much that. That's it for the day because they've run yeah, all the deer yeah. out of the woods. It's annoying. We even had a cat one time that would would uh, follow he'd follow me out to the woods and they sometimes and i'd hunt out behind the house in a little fence row back there i'd hear the leaves crunching get all excited get my bow and arrow ready turn around and look and there'd be that old black and white cat walking through the woods he'd come right yeah. over to the bottom of the tree and lay down he knew right where i was at yeah i was out turkey hunting one time different time sitting up against the tree and i heard something walking towards me i was in the middle of the woods I'm like, wow, man, that doesn't sound like a turkey. But I mean, you know, the footsteps were slowly coming towards me, slowly coming towards me. I'm like, what is this thing? And out walks this little possum, 20 yards <laughs> right in front of me. I had my gun up ready, you know. I'm like, hey, if that's a turkey, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> Dumb little possum. <laughs> Some fellas should have killed him. Yeah. I like to let things live. Yeah. yeah no I, reason to kill a little guy like that. I've been pretty hungry in my life, and there's, I, I'd eat a possum. I've eaten, you know, I've had some possum jerky, but uh, I'm, I've never been real hungry enough to eat possums on a regular basis to so just go out and hunt them and shoot them and eat them. I, there's yeah. plenty of stuff in line before them that I can hunt and eat. Well, keep my old family Danny fed. boy ate that one turkey season I know. one. I know. Season one, that like video, like I don't know, 9, 10, 11, he ate that possum. And then uh, he was bragging about how good it was. And then towards the end of that same season, I was with him <clears throat> camping. We were, we were uh, snow goose hunting or something. I don't remember. And he shot one and cooked it up and had me. To, it was terrible. In fact, <laughs> Izzy wouldn't even eat it. It, cooked, it was like a cooked part, and Izzy refused to eat it. That's how bad it was. You got to eat. Dog. If you're going to eat possum, you got to eat possum. You, uh, if you're going to eat possum, you got to eat it in the summertime when it's warm. You can't Why eat it that? when it's cold outside because as Why soon that? as you take a bite of it, you open your mouth and cold air hits it, all that grease turns to lard inside your mouth and it just it uh, gums up. So you got well, you got to eat it when it's warm outside. That's what everybody I says. I know. I, t I took one bite of that. He gave me like the armpit. I'm like, Why did you give me the armpit? Give me a good piece. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like chewing gum, like tire. 
It's terrible. Now, William's mama, she can, she can, she makes some pretty good jerky out of it, but she's got some way she, she hangs it and slow cooks it. It gets all the grease out of it, so it leaves the meat behind. It ain't too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll stick with you for a while, though. You can chew on it for a good thirty minutes before it goes yeah, away. Yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bud. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us on another segment of Woody's Top 5. All right, guys. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting if you want to see the next. You got to get there quick because Woody and I are going to schedule this. We only, I mean, you got to think about it. Woody's on every other week. So we only record like every once in 10 weeks. So we're going to do one. Come and watch Woody and I record the video feeds there. The comment sections there. Come, come and come, come, let's go. And also the North American waterfowler app is live and active. It's hundred percent done. Put in the photos of your hunt, track the dog retrieves, connect a crew with your friends. So where you can see their numbers, it is an awesome, awesome system. You can download it on iOS. You can download it on Android. You can set up a free seven day trial to check it out. If you don't like it, cancel it. If you have any questions about it, ask me, but I think it's a great product. It, it'll increase your um, enjoyment. If you're a North American waterfowl, like I am, I guarantee you your, your, well, I can't guarantee, but I think you're probably going to like it. So anyway, let's get on out of here. I want to play the last song from the national. And this song is called anyone's ghost. I love this song. Should this song be in my top 10? Do you like it? I don't know. I love it. I love this. These two songs from the national. So here we go. Anyone's ghost by the national you've listened to another episode of the north american waterfowler podcast Yeah.
Didn't wanna be your ghost. Didn't wanna. 